Well, good morning. So it is a joy and a privilege to be here with you this morning as we uh, celebrate the freedoms that we have in America and we remember those who um, died and fought to give us those freedoms. And, um, you know, as we talked this morning and as when Pastor Mike asked me to, uh, if, if I'd like to preach on something during this conference, I began to think about what is it that, that I could bring, um, or that the Lord could use me to bring? And there are those topics where you start looking at it and you study and you prepare to teach, whether it's Sunday school or preaching, and you end up preaching more to yourself than you do to, to anyone else. And so this morning, um, as, as I preach, and as we look at this passage uh, in God's word, just know that I'm preaching uh, more to myself than I am to any of you because I am... Um, not very good at some of this stuff that we're going to talk about this morning, but we're going to dive into to God's word and we're going to look and see what he has to say um, to husbands and to wives about loving each other and submitting to each other. So imagine with me, if you would, that you're at a wedding ceremony and the bride and the groom are up there and the pastor begins. And the first words out of his mouth is this, today is a good day to die. So imagine beginning a celebration, a wedding ceremony with those words, today is a good day to die. That's how the pastor who married Chelsea and I began our wedding ceremony. Um, and at the time, uh, I thought it was a little bit odd, but also thought that I understood what he meant by it. Um, understood, okay. He's talking about dying, you know, submitting to your wife, you know, putting your wife, your spouse before each other. Um, it's something you got to do. You got to die to yourself. But in all reality, like I had no clue what he really meant and what uh, that statement meant uh, about dying to myself, serving and loving my wife. You see, um, when Chelsea and I got married, we were babies, um, or at least I think we were babies. I was 24. She was 21. Uh, she had just graduated college literally like two weeks before we got married. Um, and we had the whole world planned out in, in front of us, and we knew what was going to happen. Um, but I had no clue how to love my wife, and I had no clue how to serve her. And even 16 years later, there's far too many days that I still don't understand how to die to myself and how to truly serve um, and love my wife. Um, and that made things difficult for us as we began our marriage because I was very selfish. Um, and, and to compound that, we got married. I was in seminary studying um, to go into ministry. Um, uh, a church called and said, hey, we want you to come um, and be the youth minister at our church. And so Chelsea and I, we said, okay, well, we'll let's pray about it. We'll come meet with you. Go see. So we, we got up there. We went and we ended up accepting uh, the call to this small church um, in the middle of nowhere in Arkansas. Uh, but the kicker is, is that at the time we were living in Memphis. And so what we did was for two and a half, three years, we would get in the car on either Friday night or Saturday during the day, and we would drive two hours um, to this little town in Arkansas, and we would go and we would serve at the church. And then we would uh, we'd be there for Sunday morning, um, Sunday evening service. And then after the service Sunday evening, we would get back in the car and we would drive the two hours back to Memphis. <sighs> Sounds like a lot. It sort of was at times. But one of the, the things that I'm thankful for um, is that it gave us a lot of time to talk. Uh, 
um, and to just spend time with each other four hours each weekend at least going there. And I remember, um, and I know Chelsea remembers clearly, um, one specific time about six months to a year in, um, we had been talking, we were driving home, and we got back, and it just shows you how clearly I didn't understand how to love my wife. We're sitting in the parking lot in seminary housing before we got out and to unload and go back into our apartment. Um, and I basically made this statement because we were thinking about, well, what are we going to do when you finish seminary, when I finish my, my degree, my schooling, um, so I can start working? Um, and I told her something to the effect of, well, since God has called me to ministry, um, and, and that's important, you can do and teach wherever God calls us. And I basically told her that my, my calling was, was more important um, than, than what God had called her to do. Um, and so I clearly didn't understand um, how to love my wife and how to not be selfish. Um, and if you ask Chelsea, she, when I said that, I mean, we're six months in a year being married. She's like, oh, what have I gotten myself into? Um, but eventually God convicted me and showed me how wrong I was in believing that and, and, and the way I served her in that moment to where I, I eventually I, I repented and I humbled myself and I came back and I apologized to Chelsea. Um, and I particularly am very glad um, that God changed that in me because I believe um, we have been able to minister to more people through her calling as a teacher um, than we ever would have if, if I had followed that path down that road. And so I'm thankful for God um, for that. Um, because you see, as we talk about marriage, we realize that marriage is just this um, imperfect picture of this perfect reality that God, God has given us. Um, in Ephesians 5, he lays out that God, um, Paul lays out that God's designed marriage basically to be a metaphor for truth. Our marriage is a picture to the world of how God loves us. And that's what our marriage is supposed to, to display and to, to show to others who are looking in. And he wants to use our marriages to display his glory and his beauty and his grandeur. Um, a former pastor of mine, when they were doing at a, at a different church on, on marriage, he said, um, he made this statement that really stuck with me. He said, your marriage is not about you. It's not about your happiness. Your marriage is about God and about his glory. And so I think if we can remember that, um, that helps to put us in the right frame of mind as we look at this. And so, you know, this passage, as we read this morning, it's been covered. Pastor Dan's touched on it. Pastor Britt touched on it. Pastor Mike's touched on it. Um, so my goal is not to spend a ton of time digging through um, the theological truths necessarily in the passage, but really to go through some of the commands that Paul gives to husbands and wives, and then really look more at how do we practically um, live those out, and what does that look like when we try to, to implement those in our marriage. Um, so uh, we'll begin in verse 21 uh, of Ephesians 5. And so it says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And you look at this, and it's sort of like it begins halfway through a sentence. Um, but, it, but it speaks to the first command that Paul gives us in our marriages, and that is that there must be mutual submission to each other. Um, the call to mutual submission, though, is not just for husbands and wives. It's a call to every believer, that we are to submit to other believers, we are to serve other believers out of our respect and our reverence for Christ and how he served us. Um, 
And so serving begins in our marriage when we submit ourselves to each other out of our love and our work for, walk for Christ. Um, R.C. Sproul, a pastor, professor, um, he tells us this when it comes to the idea of serving and submitting to, to believers and to, and to each other. He says, let us keep in mind this principle of the call to service as we consider Paul's teaching on the roles of husbands and wives. Husbands and wives are to serve one another according to the principle of mutual Christian service. But the form this service takes is gender specific. Wives serve their husbands by submitting to them. Husbands serve their wives not by submitting to them, but by leading them and by loving them with a sacrificial love and imitation of the way that Christ loves the church. The submission, the submission that the apostle puts on wives in verses 22 through 24 is not the kind of service that all believers, husbands included, must render to one another in the church. Wifely submission is a particular submission, one, which, one in which she obeys the Christian obligation to serve within the parameters of the marital covenant. Wives must follow the leading of their husbands, not every man in the world. Furthermore, a husband's authority is not absolute. The wife submits to her husband as to the Lord. Thus, she follows his direction insofar as he does not ask her to sin. And so if our marriages are going to honor Christ, then we have to um, first be able to submit ourselves to Christ, uh, which will then help us as we submit and we serve uh, each other. So what does that look like? What does it look like to make sure that we're submitting ourselves to Christ um, and serving each other? Um, so I think practically there's four things we can we can say about this on mutual submission. The first is that if we're going to serve other people, we first have to be saved. If we're not saved, if we don't have a relationship with Christ, it's going to be almost impossible for us to deny ourselves, deny our flesh, and to submit ourselves and serve other people in a way that Christ has called us to. So we have to repent of our sins, and we have to trust Christ's finished work on the cross and follow him. Second thing is, is that once we're saved, part of sub submitting and serving um, is we have to be spending time in the word to grow in our relationship with Christ. Now, this is, this is not just, oh, I come to church and I hear the pastor preach or I'm teaching Sunday school. So I'm looking at it. This is outside of those times. We have to be spending time immersing ourselves in God's word, asking him what he has to say to us. Um, and usually for me, the best time to spend in God's word is first thing in the morning. If I don't do it first thing in the morning, um, usually then the day just gets in the way and, and I don't do it. Um, and, and I would bet that for most of you, that's going to be the same thing. And so we have to be intentional. It's not something that comes naturally just to say, hey, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to spend time in God's word asking him to, to, to speak to me and to change me. Um, so easiest thing to do is just set a reminder on your phone. Pull out your phone if you have an iPhone. Tell Siri to remind you to read your Bible every morning. Um, if you don't think that's enough, take your wife's phone or your husband's phone, set a reminder on it, and tell them to remind you um, about your reminder to read the Bible, right? Um, you have to be intentional and you have to be purposeful about this. Um, the other thing you might say is, well, if I'm not doing this consistently, I'm not reading my Bible, where do I begin? Do I just open it up and point to a passage? Um, 
the thing is with technology, one of the blessings of it is, is you can go out, you can Google, you can find hundreds of great Bible reading plans. Um, so there's, there's information out there. You can talk to Pastor Mike. You can talk to Pastor Dan. Um, they would love to share with you. Here's how you can start reading through your Bible. But the point is, is that if you want to be able to serve and submit in relationship to your spouse, then you need to be spending time in the word growing as a believer. Uh, the next thing is that in addition to being saved and to reading your Bible and growing, you have to be spending time in prayer. Um, you, by doing that, you're going to allow God to speak to you, um, ask God to bring about repentance, convict you of sin, and impress upon you the truths that you've been reading in God's word. And I think probably the most effective way to do this and the, way, the most effective way to pray is using um, the, acts of, the Acts Acrostic. You may have heard it. You may not have. You may say, what are you talking about? Um, but usually the most effective way to pray is just begin with adoration. Praise God for who he is. And then after you do that, move into a time of confession, confessing sin um, to God, asking him to reveal that to you. Um, then the T, move into a time of thanksgiving. Thank God for, for who he is, for what he's done, how he's answered prayers. And then the S is just move on to a time of supplication. Really, this is where you ask God to move and to work in your life. You pray for friends, neighbors, things going on. You pray for your marriage. Um, and you do that. And as you go through that and you get into a pattern of praying and asking God to do these things and, and praising him for who he is, you begin to see him work and to answer prayers in ways you probably wouldn't have before. Um, and then the last, the last thing as we look at mutual submission to each other is that... Um, we have to be willing to allow for accountability for our walk with Christ. Because it's really easy if you're doing life by yourself and someone were to, to come and ask you, well, hey, are you saved? Or, you know, are you reading the Bible? Or are you praying? It's really easy to say, yeah, sure. I do it all the time. It's great. But as Christians, we're not designed to live life in isolation. We're designed by God to live life in community with each other. Um, we're, we're designed to do that so that we can let people into our lives. We can let them into what we were, uh, our former church for is the line of shame to let people below the things you don't want anybody to know. You need to have someone that you can do community and life with that knows those things about you, that can hold you accountable for those things to help you grow in your walk with Christ. And the easiest place to find that is in a small group. Right? That's the purpose of our small groups is to do life with each other um, and to, to hold each other accountable. Uh, another way is just to find a friend that you trust that's the same gender um, and, and to start meeting with them regularly and just to give them permission to call you out on your sin and your life and your walk and to hold you accountable. Um, and the most practical way to do that is just by asking each other questions every time you get together and meet. Um, and so you need to do that regularly. And there are a lot of good questions out there, um, and a lot of good resources like, uh, for that. But, but here are just a few questions you could start with if it's something you're, you're looking at doing. But you know, have you spent time in Bible reading and prayer? What scriptures are you reading right now? What is God speaking to you through the Bible or through your prayer? Is there any relationship that's out there with a member of the opposite sex that could be viewed as compromising? Have you spent quality time with and given priority to your family or your deep friends? How have you been honoring and loving uh, to those closest to you? Are you stewarding your gifts well? 
Are you representing Christ well where he has put you to be an ambassador? Have you been living generously? Have your desires been determined by Christ or do they look like the culture around you? And those are just a few questions that you can use as you begin to do that. But if we want to look like Christ and we want to grow, we have to allow accountability into our lives. Now, you say, well, if, if I'm saved and I'm reading my Bible and I'm praying and I'm having accountability, does that mean that I is going to guarantee that I'm always going to love and serve and submit to my spouse? No, it doesn't guarantee it. But what I'm willing to bet is that if you are praying, you're reading your Bible, you're having accountability, you're going to be a lot more successful and consistent in serving and submitting your spouse than you would be if you're not. Uh, And then after verse 21, we move to verse 22, and Paul tells us, he, he says, Wives, submit to your own husbands. This verse is probably one of the most uh, abused and taken out of context verses, maybe in the whole Bible, right? We've, we, society as a whole, has used this, well, wives or, or women, you need to submit to your husband to, to treat them poorly, to do things uh, in a way that they shouldn't be treated. Um, and so a lot of times when we hear someone's going to talk about wives submitting to their husbands, we sort of cringe, and it's like, oh. Is he really going to talk about that? Um, You know, we we don't like that. I had the privilege uh, several months ago uh, of marrying a couple. And as we did premarital counseling in that, and we began to talk about the different issues in marriage, we got to this point in this passage of uh, what are your roles? What are your responsibilities in marriage? And for whatever reason, whether it's the way she was raised or society, where um, the, the wife in this, she just cringed at the idea that she was supposed to submit to her husband. And so we had to talk about well, what does this mean? What does this look like? Is it like society says that women should just submit? And, and the thing is, when you look at the scripture, Paul just doesn't say wives submit to your husbands. He qualifies what that submission should look like. He says, wives, submit to your husband as to the Lord. You know, if he just said, wives, submit to your husband, then, yeah, I can get it. I can get why women wouldn't want to, you know, I mean, it's, there's, there's too much. But he says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And then he goes on in verse 24 and says, as the church submits to Christ, wives, you also should submit to your husband. And so he gives some, some parameters around what that wifely submission looks like. So practically, what, what should this mean and what does this look like for, for our wives? Well, I'll tell you the first thing that it does not mean. Biblical submission does not mean that the wives don't have a voice in their marriage that they have to agree with their every decision of their husband, or that they should simply be quiet and do what they're told. Um, biblical submission doesn't mean that as a woman and as a wife, you give up your opinions and your ability to think for yourself. Um, what it does mean is it means that you surre- as you surrender yourself to the Lord in your daily walk, you position yourself to be able to follow the leadership of your husband just like you do the Lord. Biblical submission in marriage is a wife making a choice not to overtly resist her husband's will. It's not to say that she can't disagree with him or she can't express her opinion. But by definition, a wife who practices submission is a woman with strength of character. And because of this, she's usually going to have her own opinions, her own thoughts, um, and she can express those 
to her husband respectfully without belittling him or causing disrespectful confrontation. In fact, it may be sometimes wrong for the wife not to express her opinions. Women, wives, I would say this, it's not your responsibility to make sure your husband listens to your opinions. He's going to be held responsible for how he does that. But what it is your responsibility is to speak, support, and to follow your husband even when you disagree with the conclusion he comes to as long as it does not lead you, your family, or your husband into sin. The wife is ordained by God to be her husband's helper, not his doormat. And so by expressing her opinions, giving you advice, offering suggestions, she becomes an invaluable helper to you men. It doesn't mean also, the second thing it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that the role of the woman or the wife is inferior to the role of the man or the husband. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, Peter says, Husbands, likewise dwell with your wives with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life. You see, God has designed men and women with different strengths, thoughts, emotions, skills, and roles. But biblical submission doesn't mean that somehow the man or the husband is somehow superior to the wife or that they know better, right? Biblical submission is when both parties willingly give up the rights they think they have to make the other party more like Jesus. Uh, Pastor John MacArthur states that the headship-submission relationship is not about inherent superiority or inferiority. Many wives are frankly wiser more knowledgeable, more articulate, and more discerning than their husbands. Uh, I found this definitely to be true in my relationship. Um, Yet, God has ordered the family so that the man is the head. And that is not because the wife automatically owes the husband servile deference as his inferior. For she is not to be treated as an inferior, but as a sister and a joint heir of grace. The reason for the divine order is that your wife is the weaker vessel and you therefore owe her sacrifice and protection. The third thing is, it does mean when your wife practices biblical submission, husbands, you should encourage and and appreciate your wife because they are honoring the Lord. So when your wife demonstrates a heart of submission, know that it may be extremely difficult for her to do that. And when she does that, let her know that you appreciate what she is doing. You admire her because she is submitting. She's showing you that you can trust her. Right? She's showing you that she's desiring to follow the Lord. And as a result, you can trust her with your deepest and darkest fears and desires, knowing that she's not gonna not there to, to hurt you or to get you somehow or to prove a point and be like, I told you so. She's there to help you. And when you make mistakes, guys, because it's, it's going to happen, we make mistakes, know that she is there to help you minimize the consequences of those mistakes. And when your wife practices biblical submission, it helps you to know that your wife respects you as a husband who has accepted his responsibility as a leader in the home. So when your wife submits herself to your leadership which may at times be lacking. Praise her, encourage her, and fight to protect her because she willingly and humbly trusts herself and her well-being into your hands. 
Then the last command that Paul gives in these verses is to the husbands. And he says to the husbands in verse 20, uh, 25, he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So how does he tell the husbands to do? He says, Husbands, you are to love your wives as Christ loved the church. We ask, well, how did Christ love the church? He continues, he says, by giving himself up for her. So he died for the church, right? So Christ loved his bride so much that he willingly gave up his life to protect her and to serve her. And he goes on, so that the church might be sanctified through the cleansing of the word, so that she might be spotless and without wrinkles presented holy and blameless. And by Christ's example, we as husbands are to love our wives in the same way. We are to give up our lives serving and loving them so that they can become more like Jesus. And our loving them and serving them is not about us being happy doing it or enjoying serving and loving them, even though we should if we want what's best for them. But our loving and serving and sacrificing for our wives is about them and their walk with Christ. So, now, if that example wasn't enough for for husbands to get how we're to love our wives, Paul gives us another example because sometimes it's it's hard for guys to understand things and get things, and I get it. Um, He says, though, that husbands then, if that wasn't enough, husbands should love their wives in the same way they love their own bodies. And so this takes it a step further. Not only does Paul say, husbands, you should love your wife as Christ loved the church, but you should love your wife as you love yourself, right? Um, we could all be honest with ourselves. We all, we all like ourselves. We love ourselves. We want, you know, especially guys, we want nice things for ourselves. We want to, to look good and to feel good. We want to take care of ourselves. Um, and for the most part, we're not going to willingly make decisions that either hurt ourselves or have some kind of negative outcome for ourselves. We're going to take care of ourselves. And what Paul is telling us is that when we love our wives, when we serve them and we sacrifice them, that we are, are loving ourselves, that we're really doing it for ourselves, right? Um, when I was in college, I had the opportunity to go to a conference um, and I had the opportunity to hear a, a pastor by the name of Vody Balkum preach. And he made a statement that stuck with me at the time. Um, and it just stayed with me. I didn't really understand it until I got married and then until I'd been married a while. Um, but what he said, he was talking about loving your wives. Um, and he said something to all the men in the room uh, along the lines of this. He said, guys, husbands, he said, if you want great intimacy with your wife at night, he goes, that begins in the morning. And what he meant was, is that when we, when we as husbands die to ourselves and we begin to serve our wives and to love our wives, we're loving ourselves and we're honoring God. And the results of doing that may be physically pleasing to us as men. Most likely is going to be, be mentally and emotionally pleasing to your wife. But it's most definitely going to be honoring to God who is the object of our marriages. So, for guys, what does loving our wives look like practically? Um, so, eight things that uh, I came up with, and some of them I found, um, and I thought were really good. So, we're going we're gonna to go through here, and we're going to talk about this. First one is, do something simple. 
Guys, it doesn't take something extravagant and huge to let your wife know that you love her and that you want to serve her. Maybe it's something as simple as just making coffee for her in the morning before you go to work. Or when you get home at night, unloading the dishes, right? Or if you have kids um, and you're in that season of life, is simply taking the kids, saying, come on, kids, let's go do something so that your wife can take a nap or have some, some as my daughter Brooklyn refers to it, some, some peace time for your wife. Um, and so, she, you know, they can get away and they can just be by themselves and you take the kids, Right? And wives, it's okay if your husband asks you, what can I do for you? How can I serve you? Because what we don't want to happen, and while we, society would put this out here, and we might like to think that guys are smart and can pick up on clues um, and know what it is that you want, we really can't. Um, and so it's okay for them to ask you what acts of service to you are most meaningful, right? Because I would rather ask my wife, hey, what can I do for you it's going to mean something to you than me try to guess and go do something and spend all this time doing this. And then my wife is like, why'd you do that? Right? And it causes more problems than it does. And it takes away from this whole idea of serving them. Right? So, so ask your wives, how can I serve you? What can I do to love on you that's going to be meaningful to you? Again, it doesn't have to be extravagant. Um, the next thing, I think this is probably one of the, the easiest and biggest ways. And that's unplug and study your wife, right? We live in a technology-rich society. We have phones, we have TVs, we have computers, we have internet, and they all compete for our attention. And they've all done a really good job of getting our attention, right? But paying attention to your spouse is a, is a very easy and a great way to serve them and to love them. So set aside some time each night just to spend with them, to put the phone, the TV, the computer, put it away and just spend time talking and investing into your wife. And so for, for younger couples, younger guys, this may be a little bit tougher of a thing to do than for, for older couples, um, but it can make a huge difference. And it's a really easy thing to do to make a huge difference. Um, several weeks ago, I... Uh, I, I told Chelsea, I said, I want you to set a screen time password on my phone, and I'm going to go in and, and set a downtime, and we're going to do this, and, and only she knows the password to it, but so at a certain time each day after I've spent on my phone, and, and at night each time, my, the apps on my phone, they shut down until the next day, right? And I, I don't know if she has, but I've been amazed at how that's helped me to, to love on her and to love on my kids and to spend time with them. And it's real easy, right? You just say, hey, do this. And you put it down and you go and you study your wife. You invite her into conversation. You talk to her. You get to know her again. Um, and, and you do this, right? You want to know your wife like you know your favorite sports team. And all the, the useless meaning statistics that you can quote off the top of your head about what happened in 1985 at the World Series, right? You want to know your wife like that. Right? You want to study her and know what makes her tick, what's her dreams, her thoughts, her desires. Um, and you do that by putting down the phone, the TV, and just spending time with her. Third thing is that you need to prioritize intimacy and make your marriage a priority. Right? The media paints some pretty unflattering pictures about what intimacy within marriage looks like. 
But those examples that the media gives us couldn't be further from what God's design and his plan for our oneness in marriage is. But see, for guys, intimacy in marriage is not the only thing. It's not the ultimate part of marriage. It's part of it, but it's not the ultimate part. And if you don't make your marriage a priority, if you don't prioritize spending time with your spouse, the intimacy won't happen. And so one of the ways that you can do this is being, being intentional about instituting what we'll just call marital health calendar rhythms, right? Big word, just spending time with your wife, right? And it's going to look different for every couple, depending on what season of your life you're in um, and, and what's going on. But you should intentionally put things on the calendar um, that you are doing with your spouse. So some of these things could be praying daily at the end of the day with your spouse, you know, talking about your day and praying with them. Um, dating weekly, you know, it could be typically on a Friday night. Uh, escaping monthly, so getting away on a Saturday just for all day and going and doing something and spending time with your spouse. Um, my pastor in college was real big about this. He said, get away quarterly. So once a quarter, go spend, an, uh, you know, a weekend or an overnight trip with your wife, just you and your spouse. And then retreat annually. Take once a year to go several days and just get away. Right, But plan these regular touch points with your spouse, with your wife. Put them on the calendar. Let her know that your marriage, your relationship with her is a priority. Um, fourth thing, I think, is sacrifice. Right, It'd be great if we all uh, just lived out life and went through our marriages and neither one of us, neither spouse had to ever sacrifice anything they wanted to make the other happy. But the best acts of service require sacrifice. Sacrifice of time, sacrifice of personal preference, or both, right? So give up doing or buying something for yourself to put your, put your spouse first. Give up that, that baseball game that you wanted to watch. This is really tough for me this year because we switched our cell phone plans and we got the MLB network, so I'm able to watch all these Cubs games. Um, and it's like there's always a Cubs game on. But, but give up watching something you want to watch so that your spouse can watch something, your spouse can do something. Sacrifice for them. And, and this is tough because in our flesh we are selfish. Paul and, and Paul acknowledges this battle between our selfish natures and our calling to serve our spouse. In Galatians uh, 5.13 he says, For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. But through love serve one another. So selfless service, sacrifice, is an overflow of the love that you have from God in our hearts to our spouse. Fifth thing, serve your spouse spiritually, right? Spurring our wives on to greater maturity in the faith is one of the greatest investments you can make in your marriage. Pray for and with your wife daily. Ask your wife spiritual questions. Ask her about what she's reading in the Bible. Ask her about how she's encouraged or discouraged in her faith right now. Ask her how you can pray for her. Ask her, and this one's tough because we don't necessarily want to hear this all the time, but ask her how you can be a better husband. Ask her how you can be a better father, a better Christian, because your spouse has a lot of insight into that. And take to heart what she says, right? But serve her spiritually. Help her to grow in her faith. Um, sixth thing, be intoxicated in her love. 
In the book of Proverbs chapter 5 verse 19 speaking about marriage it says this it says be intoxicated always in her love. And so the word translated be intoxicated it's the picture the idea of a man stumbling down the street who is drunk. Right? We are to be head over heels in love with our wife. To be crazy in love. Ray Ortland, who's a pastor here in Nashville says this counsel talking about what this is saying in Proverbs is not trivial. It is the serious wisdom of God because as we'll see later in the Bible, marriage points ultimately to the love of Christ and our joy in him. And the striking thing about this wisdom here in Proverbs, he says, coming from the ancient times as it does, is that marriages back then could be arranged for economic or political reasons. But the Bible sweeps all of that aside and calls husbands and wives to be head over heels in love with each other. So how can you be head over heels in love with your wife? Here are a few suggestions he gives. He says, remind her why you're in love with her. Write her a card. List specific reasons why you treasure her. Uh, Affirm her before others. Right? Esteem your wife in the presence of others by directing their attention to the visible graces in your wife's life. Surprise her with acts of kindness. Do something unexpected to her. Take flowers to her work. Take the kids and say, hey, honey, you're going out with your friends tonight. Y'all go have fun. Um, Leave her a card in her car on the steering wheel or something. But just surprise her with acts of kindness. And then lastly, encourage her with how you see God at work in her life. Take her on a date and specifically tell her, here's what I see God doing in your life. Here's here's how it's encouraging me. Right? Here's what I'm seeing. You're, you're, you're becoming more patient with the kids or you're more patient with me. You're more kind to this person who's, who's really, you know, annoys you, right? You're being more bold in your faith, right? I, I see you growing this way. Tell her these things and watch how it helps her faith to grow. All right. Seventh practical way for guys is, is shoulder the leadership burden. For whatever reason, God has made the husbands the head of the household, right? We are to protect, love, serve our wives, but we are also going to be held accountable for the decisions that are made within our family. And our wives should not be given that task of deciding everything that's going on within our family, what our family is going to do. Um, that is your responsibility. Now, you don't, doesn't mean you have to make all the decisions. It doesn't mean you have to be the one saying this is, but you need to be involved and you need to shoulder the burden so that your wife does not have to bear that. Um, lastly, be engaged. This is, a, this is a huge thing for guys. I know it's really easy after you've been at work all day to come home and just want to check out and sit on the couch and relax and not deal with anything right? But your home is not only a refuge for you to relax after a hard day, but it's also a context to serve. When you get home as much as you don't want to, seek out your wife before you check the mail, before you turn on the TV, before you talk to your kids, before you play with the pet. Go find your wife and find out how her day was. Find out what's going on. What does she need? How can you serve her? How can you love her? Be engaged in the process. And and that's going to mean that you don't get to to check out and relax probably till the kids go to bed or till it's after and you just have to wait. But as a husband, that is our responsibility. It's our, our burden to be engaged and to love and to serve our spouses in that way.
So um, hopefully this has been beneficial uh, and giving you some practical ways that you can uh, love and serve your spouse. Because as believers, um, we are called to serve the Lord and submit to each other. Wives, you are called to submit to and respect your husband as you submit to the Lord. Now, this doesn't mean you're always going to agree with him. And your husband's not always going to be worthy of being respected. But as you live out your faith, your goal should be to submit and respect your husband so that it pushes him closer to the Lord and makes him more like Christ. Husbands, you are called to love, your, love and sacrifice for your wife, even when you don't feel like it, or she might not be deserving of it. But as you love, serve, and sacrifice for your wife through your faith in Jesus, it's going to lead her closer to Christ and make her more like that. And in the end, our marriages are not about us, but they are about God. And our goal is to point others to him so that they can see the beautiful and perfect picture of the ultimate marriage. Let's pray together.